Last week, we looked at the kingdom of God is not observable. We had to start with the scripture in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 21, and it reads, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God will come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Come on and bless the name of the Lord. Pharisees asked when, and he told them where, is what we looked at on last week. Understanding the, the correlation between distance and time. That you cannot separate space from time, you cannot separate time from space. If something is going to be something, it is going to be that something at that particular time. And because, and it's because this world is organic and living, it is going to be something else at a different period of time. But nothing can be the same at all times. So thus, you cannot separate time from space. And on last week, we looked at the special relativity in Einstein's theory that pretty much tells us that how we perceive time is relative. And that it's relative to the observer. It's been a scientific fact. And then we looked at this last week. You can check the podcast from last week. But it's been proven scientifically that time moves different for each observer. This is not a, a, a metaphor. It's not like time moves different. It does move different. That if you measure time of the same event for one person on one observable plane to another, that that time that has elapsed is different. Yeah. It's not, it just looks different. It is calculated as being different. That space in itself constricts or shrinks or expands in order to allow for the distance or the, the change in that time. So we see that observers have the ability, based off of their perspective and their plane of reference, to determine whether something is near or far, soon or later. Amen. That it's based off of your observational plane, where you're looking from the framework of where you are observing that particular event in reference to you. Amen. So if you're outside of, if you're in one frame of reference, then that event is happening faster and it is closer than if you're in another frame. This is not just how it looks. I have to keep reminding people because this goes against everything we feel that our world operates. Yeah, yeah. Like if it's five seconds, it's five seconds for every person that feels right to us, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And then science comes and tells us with mathematical equations and proven experiments that says five seconds is not five seconds for every person. Yeah. That if five seconds for one person could be 4.987 seconds for another person based off of their observational plane. And that is mind boggling because now the observer has a direct relationship to the distance of something and the speed of something. Now, on weeks before, we learned that the observer has a direct correlation with the manifestation of a thing. Yeah. The observer determines whether it is going to be a possibility or whether it's going to fall into a particular category. The category is up to the father. It is not up to the observer. But the observer participates in bringing that will of God manifested right before their eyes. Does that make sense? Yeah. Hello? 
It's very, that's very important, because I don't want you to go around thinking that the observer determines the reality. The observer by God is used to reflect the reality, to bring the reality that is in the mind of God into fruition. Yes? And you can, you can do that whether you know God or don't know God. That's just your nature as a human being. You got eyes, you're bringing things here. Some of us know that we're bringing them according to the will of God, and some of us do not. We just hope. But nevertheless, your eyes are bringing things into physical being when they were once just all possibilities. That's what we've been learning. It's the concept of uh, entanglement mixed in where each atom and particle, once they're split, they're forever uh, connected, operating conversely one to another instantaneously. And that means that it moves faster than the speed of time. So not only do we recognize that observers control by observation human beings uh, determine when something goes from all possibilities to concrete matter in this time and space. And we also determine, the observer that is, how fast something is happening and how far away it is. And that that is negotiable based off of the observer. And then lastly, we've learned that no matter what it is, it's always instantaneously connected no matter the distance. This, this is huge, okay? So this week I want us to move a little bit on part two of that message from last week. But we're going to entitle this one for clarity. Uh, the word made flesh, uh, nothing is a powerful something. Nothing is a powerful something. Y'all ain't even trying to help me preach. In my line of work, I run into people that have a lot of nothing. <laughs> Sometimes they think they got something. When I take a look, you've got nothing. You think you've got some type of revelation. I take a look, you've got nothing. You think you've got some kind of solution and answer. I take a look and you've got nothing. Then I run into people who know they have nothing. And I take a look and say, Oh, you got something. And they say, no, no, pastor, I have nothing. I am nothing. I can't do anything. And I say, oh, but you've got something. Jesus. Nothing is a powerful something. Throughout scriptures, God is trying to reveal that when you think there's nothing, there's always something. Scientists and, and uh, agnostics and those atheists cannot fathom, not all scientists, but some, cannot fathom how there could be nothing and then there is something. So where did God come from if there was nothing? But they don't recognize that nothing is a powerful something. And now scientists are coming to the conclusion that nothing is always something. The same thing that the Father wanted us to know for ages upon ages upon ages, that nothing always has something. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He said, let there be light. Now, number one, there was already in the beginning a deep. And in the beginning, from our time when it starts, there was always the Spirit of God hovering over the deep. So when they say there was nothing, there was always something. You and I don't know a reality where absolutely nothing ever existed. That's true. 
We have not been taught that. And it's not been seen in scripture. And now physically and scientifically is becoming more evident that nothing is always something. And so today I want us to look at how nothing is a powerful something. And last week we, we began to look at the difference between talents and menace. And the parables that Christ offered. And showing what we do with his gifts and what we do as stewards. What we do with his talents and what we do as servants. And there was one particular verse that we looked at, if you recall, in Matthew 25, verse 30. It was, it was pretty key. Because verse 30 of Matthew 25 said something to us about the menace. He explained that there were 10 servants that were given 10 minutes. Each of them were given the same minutes, the same name of Jesus, the same Lord, the same God, the same power, the same life, breath. They were all given the same of something. And there was one servant that did nothing with his minutes, but hid them in hopes that he at least didn't lose that. And so when the, the master came back to take what belonged to him, he said, there is the thing that you left. Meanwhile, everyone, had taken, everyone else had taken their 10 minutes and multiplied them. Some multiplied them greater and some multiplied them less. But this one particular servant multiplied them not at all. And to that one particular servant, I think it was, it was evident. He says, he says, now take the one that he has and give it to someone else. If you're not faithful over little, you won't be faithful over much. Y'all not helping me today. You want, a, you want a big anointing, but you're not faithful over the little task. Listen, you could go to 15 different worship teams, 20 different choirs. Hello, somebody. You could move from one ministry to another ministry. The problem is not where you're going. The problem is how you are serving. Problem is how you're serving. You think it's the pastor. You think it's the ministry. You no, 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 no. The problem is you. No one is stifling your gifts because when the Lord opens the door, come on, y'all don't want to help me. It's open and no man can shut it. Hello? This is not him and it's not them. The problem is you. Well, I would succeed if somebody could just, and I would be able to if somebody could just, and it's not my fault because I just don't have it. If only somebody could, and if only somebody would, and if only, if only, if only, if only. In the meantime, you got 10 minutes sitting over here under a handkerchief. You're not going to be successful worrying about what someone did not do or could not do. The only thing you need to worry about is what you can do. Because even when there's nothing, there's something. There's always something. And raising young men and women of God to have excellent character and integrity, steadfastness and tenacity, we have to continue to remind them when you can do nothing, do something. Amen. But most times when young people can't do anything, they just decide to do nothing. Hello? Amen. Come on, Bean. Come on, Mar. Come on, Elijah. Come on, Taylor. I'm talking about these young babies. Nisa, there she go. Mm -hmm. When you can do nothing, you feel like I should do nothing. Right. When in fact, when you can do nothing about your situation is when you need to do something. Amen. 
Well, I can't move over here. I can't get that done. It's not time yet. We'll find something to do. Something can be improved upon. You can improve upon your relationship with your family. You can improve upon your, your cleanliness of your house and your room. You can improve. Hello, somebody. You can improve upon your service at the church. You can improve upon your reading skills. You can improve upon your math skills. You can improve upon your weight gain, weight loss. You can improve upon how you read. You can improve. There is so much of something you can do. But sitting about worrying and depressed over the fact that you have nothing is not going to manifest anything. In fact, you'll continue to slide backward and only successful people take inches forward when everybody else is stagnant. You can't figure out how to get yourself to do something when you can't do anything, then you cannot and will not be successful. At most, you'll be average. Because average people do nothing when there's nothing to do. But it takes a faithful individual to find something when it appears as if there's nothing. Y'all don't want to help me today. It requires a faithful people to look for something when it appears to be nothing. Y'all don't want to help me today. You as a believer have the key to life and abundant life through scripture. He's trying to raise you to be a faithful person, a person of strong faith. Meanwhile, you keep observing physically that there's nothing you can do and thus you conclude that there's nothing that should be done. But by faith, you look for something. And by faith, you do something. The failure that is becoming your life is not because you didn't have opportunity. The failure that is becoming your life is not because you weren't taught better. The failure is coming because you are not doing something. What am I going to do? Anything. If you do anything when it feels like there's nothing to do, one of those things is going to be productive. I'm a paint. Okay, I hate painting. I'm not doing that. I'm a sing. <clears throat> nope, not ready for that kind of commitment. Uh, you, if you could do anything, and after you try anything, one of those things is going to be very productive. So while you had no fruit on this tree, you're now planting a harvest here that will grow fruit later. You're getting in the habit of making sure that you're always growing something in due season. Oh, but hungry is the man that when apple season was done, he dare not plant oranges. Oh, come on, somebody. Hungry goes the man that when it was time to plant grapes, you was mad that you didn't have no apples. Y'all don't want to help me today. The Bible makes very clear wisdom across the board. You're crying because this ain't working out. Worried. Hello, somebody. Well, you need to be planting because that season, when that thing is not in bloom, it's going to happen again with your silly self. Yeah. It's going to be another season of broke. It's going to be another season of joblessness. It's going to be another season of poor health. It's going to be another season of conflict. It's going to be, a, it's always going to be a season of sunshine and rain. Meanwhile, you have not gained the concept of basic tending to a garden. 
that you have to plant in every season what is specific to that season of planting. There are certain things you plant in the winter, you do not plant them in the summer. But if you plant them in the winter, in the winter they will be ready in the spring. Y'all don't want to help me today. There's certain things you plant in the summer you can't plant in the winter and vice versa. Just silly stuff, you are almost 30, 40 plus and have not learned that you have to constantly sow and reap. Sow and reap. And the only reason you can't constantly reap is because every season you forget to sow. You get, you get in your little hole. Huh? Your little dungeon. Hello? Here's a great opportunity since you ain't got no job to spend time with your family. Sowing good relationship when you were so busy that you had not time to build relationship. So now next season, when you don't have anything, here comes family supporting you to make, oh, y'all don't want to help me today. Oh, but no, you too busy being mad and depressed. Hell yeah. The reason you don't ever know when I'm broke is because I'm always sowing. I sow when I'm sick. I sow when I'm well. I sow in grief. I sow in joy. I sow when I got money. I sow when I ain't got no money. I sow when I'm happy. I sow when I'm sad. I'm so when, I sow when I'm fully rested. And I sow when I'm exhausted. So in one season, I don't have anything. I can eat fruit from the last thing that I sowed. Since I sow seeds when I was exhausted, to my friends and family, now that I'm exhausted again, friends and family has bloomed. Y'all don't want to help me today. And now there's a support system that is pushing me on when I feel famine in the land. Y'all don't want to help me. But Satan has convinced you to shut down, pull back, cut stuff off, because something ain't working. He's convinced you to go hungry. He's convinced you to make sure your land is barren. He done came in and told you, stop planting. Now, to me, that's dumb, considering you're sitting there hungry. How are you going to be sitting in the consequences of your bad choices and then think the best thing I could do is continue these bad choices? Doing the wrong thing is what got me into this mess. Doing nothing is not going to get me out. That's not my point today. I don't know why we're over there. Let's bring it back. When we looked at the parable of the talents, we recognized that when it comes to talents, he gives according to their ability. To every servant, he says, I'm going to give you a matter of talents based off of what I feel you could do with them. And most of the, ta- most of the people, the servants with the talents, they multiplied except for the one. There was one who had very little talent, and he did not multiply it. He buried it, hid it. And when the ser- master came back, he said, there is your talent where I hid it. What was interesting in this particular verse is what I want to look at today. When it comes to the talents from last week, is at verse 30 of Matthew 25, that particular servant that was given talents based off of his ability... Now, this is the thing I love about God, is he knows what you're capable of. You can convince me of your sad, sad story. 
You can tell me that it's been so hard for you. You can tell me that nobody ever cared. But the Lord knows what you're capable of. To everybody else, it's old. Why is God so mean? Why is God so hard? Why won't God just help you? And I used to be like that as a pastor. Oh, I would see y'all go through. And I'd be like, Lord, why won't you bless my baby? Look at him struggling. Oh, he crying, Lord. Oh, she crying, Jesus. Oh, it's been months, God. Oh, they struggling, Jesus. And then one day we see what's really going on in your heart and your mind. We'd be like, oh, that's why. Oh, that's why. But when you show me, it's, I don't know why God is doing this to me. And if he's such a good God, then why do I feel like this? And oh, I'm just like, I know, Lord. Why? What are you doing? And I go to him and I come back and realize, oh, you got some heart issues. Character issues. Lying issues. Oh, some deceptive issues. You done finessed your way till finesse don't work no more. And now it's all coming back. Y'all don't want to help me today. Now you're walking around here with like an emperor with no clothes on. Thinking, thinking everybody is fooled by your finesse. You know, I'm doing good. You know what I'm saying? I love the Lord. You know what I'm saying? I got my stuff, you know, tight. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's, you know I'm growing. I'm doing. I'm doing. Yeah, me and Jesus, me and your pastor. I read that scripture the other day. Right. You know, because I was praying and, you know, the Holy Spirit put on my heart. Mm-hmm. Right. The same verse he gave you three years ago that you keep regurgitating over and over again are the times that you feel like you and him are close because that's the only one you could remember. Telling me you read something in the Bible when technically you just saw it on your Instagram feed. Telling me that you studied when it was your quote of the day. I'd be like, why are you trying to impress me? The Lord knows your ability. He knows your ability. So the servant that did not multiply his talents, in verse 30 it says, cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We looked at this last week, and today I want to pick up right there. Nothing is a powerful something. Cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness. Let's look at this outer darkness today. In our studies, we have learned quantum mechanics and quantum theory and all the small particles that make up everything that we see. We've recognized that there's more space in between the particles. So for example, Everything is made up of an atom, right? Yeah. An atom has a, 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 a nucleus, is that what it is, yeah. right? A, a, a center, that little center part right there. And the nucleus, there might be some neutrons in there, right? And then you got some, some protons and some electrons, right? Am I right? Now that makes up the atom. Those bits of those, those quantum particles, those atomic particles, I should say, those atomic particles are very small. And there's 90%, there's 98% space in between those particles. If you looked at the entire atom, it is 98% empty space. That means everything that you see is mostly empty. 
if you remove, scientists say, all the unoccupied space within each atom and the entire planet could pack itself into the volume of a marble. That's how much unoccupied space you're sitting in. It looks solid, doesn't it? It feels solid, doesn't it? Go ahead, touch it, touch something. That feels solid, don't it? It don't feel unoccupied. It feels very much occupied. Y'all don't want to help me. I'm preaching already. You, you missed the word. It feels occupied. Y'all don't want to help me today. It feels occupied. Y'all don't want to help me today. It feels occupied, but it truly is mostly empty. Keep, keep that in mind because what you are feeling and what you are sensing is telling you that there is something there when in actuality there's more nothing than something. Y'all don't want to help me today. Your entire world is based off the premise that it feels like something when in fact is mostly nothing. Why won't they help me preach, Lord? You're basing what you're going to do with your entire soul off of a feeling that something is there. You're basing the decisions you make with your life off a feeling that something is there. Off a feeling that it feels good, it looks good, it tastes good, it sounds good. And that is mostly nothing. It's just your feelings. It ain't nothing there, just your feelings. It has no sub substance, just your feelings. Hmm. What scientists have come to recognize about our universe is that there's something that is happening that is counterintuitive to what they thought about the Big Bang. With the Big Bang and our understanding of, of thermodynamics and a momentum and velocity, if something explodes over time, it should get slower, right? Very fast and then slow. Make sense? But it shouldn't go and then go faster. What scientists have come to recognize about our universe is that it is speeding up, which is counterintuitive to what they thought the Big Bang would do, and that was over time slow things down because so much force was exerted in order to cause these things to be, that naturally that force and that energy was somehow, as it began to expand, right, will slow down. Right? Because this explosion is expanding things into nothing, so it must slow down. But in fact, it is not slowing down as it expands, it is speeding up. And this is a mystery for scientists, and so they could not figure out, experiment after experiment, proof after proof, why our universe is speeding up in its expansion. Hello? Even an explosion, the rapid outrush of material quickly slows down, but in the cosmos, the outrush is, outrush is growing more and more energetic. This apparently began when the cosmos was about half its present age, about 7.8 billion years or so, or about, yeah, I, I, read, I said it before, they read, before I read it. 
It's as if each group of galaxies has its own powerful rocket engine. And all of a sudden, they all turned on at the same moment. And this is clearly impossible. So physicists grope for some explanation, some reason as to how what they thought was nothing and a, and a universe in the midst of nothing that exploded would now expand and slow down. They recognize that this explosion has caused everything to speed up and everything is going faster and faster and faster. So they said it has to be something out there in the nothing that is really something. They said they had to say it's got to be something out there because it just can't be nothing because it's going fast and fast. So their best guess is dark energy. Their best conclusion is that there's, there's dark energy. There's something in the nothing that mixes with the little bits and causes the little bits to go even further and faster into nothing. Now, what is dark energy? In their theory, it's just the opposite of every other um, current particle that you have, okay? If you have a, 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 a proton, you got an electron. It's the opposite, okay? So, um, so everything that is a substance in our universe or a, an, a, an object of quantum material or so, it has its opposing out there. Does that make sense? Hello? So um, the best way I could tell you is you can't have light without dark. Yeah. By concept, if you say light, you've already distinguished darkness. Yeah. You can't have up without down. Yeah, yeah. By definition, once you say something is up, you've already defined down. Does that make sense? Yeah. Once you say something is light, you've already defined dark. Once you say something is good, You've already established evil. The separation of one, one object produces two things. That's the only way you're going to have it. Up is not up if there's no down. It's just there. Left is not left. There's no right. It's just there. Good is not good if there's no evil. It's just good, and evil is not evil unless it's good. This is not to say that they need each other. It is to say that one being identified defines the other. That when you identify what is good, evil is exposed. Y'all don't want to help me today. When you identify what is true, the lie is always exposed. Y'all don't want to help me today. And most of you go looking for the dark energy. You look for the lie. Don't look for the lie. Look for the truth. If you can find the truth, then the lie is always exposed. Y'all don't want to help me today. I'm trying to save you some hassle. I'm trying to save you some problems. Don't try to check to see if they're lying trying to shore up their lies, just look at how much truth you see. Now you can see truth easy. Come on, somebody. Truth is made easy. You can always see truth so plain. It's right there in the front of your face. Baby, all you got to do is add up the truths. And when you start observing the truths, shazam, there are all the lies. But trying to perfect and understand where the lie is, is chasing your tail. It's, you're just, you're on the road of being more deceived. Yes? Because now you're trying to acquire knowledge of evil. 
rather than knowledge of good. You would be mature and whole if you only pursued the knowledge of good. Because evil will be made plain as you walked in the knowledge of good and you wouldn't want it. Y'all don't want to help me today. If you're only seeking what is good, 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 you will automatically see what is evil, what is evil, what is evil. And when you see what is evil, you will not want nothing to do with what is evil. So we don't have any problems. But when you try to ascertain, is it bad? Is it not right? Is it not good? Is it, is it a sin? Then you're always going to have more knowledge of evil and truth will be far from you because darkness can never expose light, but light can, will always conquer darkness. A lie can't point to truth by nature. It just points to many truths in the hopes that it can stay the lie. But truth will always expose the lie. The scientists have said there's this dark energy, something, and they've run a million experiments that I'm not going to go over. <laughs> but a lot of the experiments prove that what they thought was nothing, that it is something that is causing things to slow down at the quantum level, to move or to speed that it shouldn't be. And so what they've come to the conclusion is that the emptier our cosmos becomes, the more this dark energy can prevail. This is just science. This is not philosophy. <laughs> I want to make sure we understand this because it sounds philosophical. It's not. We're talking about uh, let's, uh, antimatter. I should, I should use that. I like that word, word better. Uh, dark, uh, the dark energy is more like antimatter, okay? Amen. All right, so you have matter, and then you have the opposite of whatever that matter would be, okay? So it would be antimatter. Um, so this antimatter grows as the uh, universe and the cosmos begin to expand. Since the very emptiness of space is the home of this repulsive force. We re say repulsive. We don't mean philosophically repulsive. We mean repulsive in terms of energy. Like magnetic forces to repulse. Okay? That kind of repulse. But it does lend itself to some pretty cool allegory. Right? But it says, the more the emptiness, the more the universe continues to expand, the more time continues and it's speeding up rapidly, like the Bible said, he comes speedily, right? And the more this is happening faster and faster, there's more areas of this antimatter to exist. So moreover, because energy and mass are equivalent, and the amount of energy needed to blow apart the cosmos is so enormous, the dark energy must be the predominant entity in the entire universe. If, the, if this qual quality of space is the underlying cause of the Big Bang, then the universe is still banging, all thanks to empty space. Thus, upon closer examination, scientists began to say, it starts to look as if nothing is actually a vital pursuant something. All of this strongly suggests that the gap between bodies is, is not real on some level. Emptiness is not what we once assumed it to be. If far apart objects can be in simultaneous contact, no matter the distance, then what does this say about space or separation? 
They're saying is there's, there's this antimatter in every empty thing that we see. Everything that we could say is nothing there. There is still something there. And that something there, y'all don't want to help me today, is doing something powerful as it causes everything else to continue to span and to speed up. What they're saying is the reason why everything is speeding up is because there is a very powerful force in the midst of what you thought was nothing, something you cannot see, something you cannot detect but you see its effects everywhere you go and there is something very powerful in that area you call nothing. He says, now if there's something in all the nothings, and there's something in all the nothings has the propensity to bring everything closer and we're always connected and entangled, then what is distance? What is distance if there's something in the nothing that brings everything presently with it? There's a concept here that scientists are flabbergasted by because now that there's something in the nothing and it's a, a very powerful something, that this whole world is expanding and speeding up because of the something in the nothing. Experiments have repeatedly proven that this seeming separation between ourselves and anything else is subject to our point of view, as we discussed, right? It's subject to Einstein's theory of relativity in the reference frame, and therefore has no inerrant bedrock reality. <coughs> okay, I'm quoting from a couple of scientists here, all right, but let me break down what they're saying. Um, in Einstein's re relativity that we looked on last week, Distance is just a matter of uh, your perception. Right. Where you are will determine how far or long away something is, right. okay, just based off of your frame, of your reference frame, and that changes, okay? So now, the distance or time of something is away from you is only a matter of your reference frame. If you switch reference frames, then the distance and time is you, it's changed, okay? You don't even have to go closer to it, per se. It's just changed. Does that make sense? Yeah. So time and space, scientifically, are, are you cannot separate them, and they are subject to the observer. So if time and space is not based off of your reality, okay, like you think it's that far, and it should be, but when you measure it, it's not. It's not consistent. Does that make sense? Yeah. For Minister Hudson, it's a different distance and it's a different time. For me, you, you understand what I'm saying? You remember the one where the, the, the lightning bolt struck both sides of the train? Yeah. For one observer, it was one thing. For another observer, it was another thing. And if the truth of the matter is you can never figure out which one is right. Because anytime you try to figure out what well, did a lightning strike twice before or after it strike once, you can never figure it out because you would have to observe. And your frame of reference would only yield for you what it would yield for you at your frame of reference. So reality is a matter of your perception. And scientists are having a hard time with this because they're saying, now there's something in the nothing and the something in the nothing is very powerful and it's causing everything to move very quickly and expand, which we did not consider happening. And now things are moving and expanding, but they are also only expanding and moving at the rate of the observer, which is subject to the observer, which means that the observer doesn't want anything to be far, then it's not going to be far. Because your reality is not tangible. 
It's up here. Your reality is right here. My reality of something is different than Minister Hudson's. Why? Because we have two different frames of reference. He will say it was five seconds. I'm going to say it was three. We're never going to know who's right. We're never going to know who's right. We're never going to know who's right. We're never going to know who's right on that because anytime we try to figure it out, we observe and we get the same result based off of our frame of reference. But we only know reality to be real if somebody else agrees. Y'all don't want to help me today. I can't tell if I made this up. Did y'all see that? I can't tell if I imagined that. Did y'all see that? I can't tell if this is real or not. Did y'all hear that? I can't tell if he said it or not. Did I see that right? If you're the only one that saw something, everybody going to say it's not real. But reality is defined by the observer. This is not a metaphor. This is a scientific fact that yields itself to the very essence of faith. Because our universe is under the subject, subjection of God's economic system. And I don't mean money. I mean the way the entire universe operates is called an economy. All right? That was before it became about money. So everything about how the world operates, the universe operates, is called the economy of God. That economy is under the jurisdiction of faith. So now reality is a matter of the observer, and you and I cannot escape to figure out which one of us is correct in our observation because we have to observe it in order to find out. See, I can, he, I can see and hear the angels of the Lord all day, and you cannot. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. I don't know. But if you can't, the thing here is Satan tries to convince me that because you can't see that it's him, that I shouldn't be sure. Oh, no, 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 no. I know the somethings in the nothing. Because this that you think is something is the real nothing. Y'all don't want to help me. And I have this sensing on what the real something is. Y'all don't want, and you want me to give up what my sensing is about what is real, that I might have the sensing of what is not real? What is empty? I'm not trading. The Bible, the word of God, Jesus said, he said, if you think you can see, you can't. But if you know that you're blind, you can see. If you know that this is nothing, then now you're really seeing. If you think that this is something, then you have no sensing for what is real. Hello? It is theorized that when the cosmic expansion made the universe large enough, distances between the galaxies were big enough to let this dark energy start to overwhelm the local gravity glue. The emptier this cosmos becomes, the more the dark energy can prevail since the very emptiness of space is the home of this repulsive force. Beyond all of the science, okay, this idea that what we think is tangible is mostly empty, and the fact that the Bible might be true and that what you cannot see is more real than what you physically can see. Beyond all of this science, none of which is tentative or doubted by any physicist, it's concrete, looms the issue of whether gaps or separations exist objectively 
or are merely the result of our mind's nonstop process of imparting order to what we see. What he's trying to say is, they know that this is a fact now. So now they're wrestling with the idea is, is what we're seeing, is, is it actually what we're seeing? Or is it just the way our brain organizes the things so that we can function? When you look at a waterfall, are you actually looking at water falling or, or has your brain just condensed each droplet into a fall? Wow. That's good, Pastor. Is that, they're saying, are you really seeing this or are you seeing the way your brain has organized the information, have, has algorized the information to allow you to function? And scientists are like, mm. it, it would appear that it's more about our consciousness. If man's consciousness is what allows something that was a possibility to be one or the other, then human's consciousness about reality is imperative in God's creation. But what you ascertain as real will define the left slit or the right. It will define whether you could see or can't see. Can you see the something and the nothing? Well, that will require uh, a different type of organ. Hello? Yeah. Uh, to, to see something in nothing requires another type of sensing. Y'all don't want to help me today. Hello? See, I sense the lights are on with my eyes. I might be able to sense them with my hands if they give off heat, right? But I sense it with my eyes. I hear sound. I sense that somebody is talking with my ears. I sense that something is hard or soft with my hands, right? Yeah. I have sensing. Now, sensing is nothing but your brain getting neurological signals on a particular path. Sensing is nothing but your brain getting neurological signals on a particular path. For example, if I see light, then there is a signal hitting my optic nerve, and that optic nerve has a path that goes to my brain that tells me the image, yes. defines it for me, yes. right, based off of my words, right? So now that's a signal. I could take that light, put it to a different pathway, and now it's going to give me a different bit of information. For example, the same light, I put my hand on it, it's warm. Same light, different sensing, different information. Remember, we perceive only a limited range of electromagnetic wavelengths, and we only feel objects because our electrical fields are encountering their electrical fields. Make sense? Yeah. The photons and protons in this are encountering my protons and photons, and that's why I know this is, this is here. Yes? But it's just electromagnetic waves, which is mostly nothing. But then there's something in the nothing. Based on these sensations alone, we perceive seeming absences or empty gaps. Thus, apparent space is part of a mental logic of the animal organism, the software that molds sensations into multidimensional objects so that we can make sense of the world and accomplish our vital functions, like finding food or searching for where we, we hid the TV remote. So our brain takes all this empty space uh, that's in between electromagnetic signals and it calculates it and tells us what it should be, where it should be, how it should feel, where it should go. But that's all just sensing, right? And how our brain is organizing all of the electromagnetic waves that are coming at it. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's just saying, okay, 
there's a ledge there probably. Yep, there is a ledge, right? Does that make sense? But if I say there is no ledge, is there no ledge? If, if I feel there's no ledge, is it possible that there's no ledge? Huh? Huh? It's possible that there's no ledge, even though my brain has, artic- has calculated there's definitely a ledge. Now I'm not going to walk off of this thing because my faith is not there. <laughs> but if I had the faith, hello, somebody, and everything was a possibility, then there is space on this at the end of this ledge or there is just more ledge. Because all objects are a possibility. So it's based off of the reality of the observer. What the re- observer says is true. Make sense? Within reason. Within reason. Okay? Within reason. There's only certain things that the Father will allow you to pick from in terms of truth until it becomes an abomination. You pick something outside of his category, it's an abomination. It's just the way it works. You've taken something that could be all possibilities and picked the one that he said is never a possibility. And thus, it is an abomination. Does that make sense? Too much sense. (laughs) Physicists now believe that this underlining energy, this vacuum energy, this antimatter is more than merely omnipresent. Its power is enormous. So they're saying that this something in the midst of nothing is everywhere omnipresent, and it is extremely powerful. Amen? So, so powerful that it, one, I think it's, it's a one sugar cube of it could wipe out our entire galaxy if you just used the amount of energy in a sugar cube. Like, that's, that's how powerful that energy is. There's something in all of the nothing. It's extremely powerful. By contrast, the life-centered view is that space is largely a sense of order created exclusively by the mind's automatic algorithms. Beyond the observer, no real emptiness exists. For all these reasons, an exploration of space is important. Science has said now that space and emptiness is an algorithm of the observer. Now, we look at the Bible, we can definitely see how Jesus knew this. He mastered the idea that this is just an algorithm of the observer. And what he observed was thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He observed the Father's hand, and what the Father said is what is happening. And now all of earth and all of quantum material and atomic material must adjust to what God says is going to be there. We call it a miracle. He calls it truth. Same, same. Hello? How you doing? You doing all right? As we visually see and physically feel, none of it means nothing. Our senses are architecturally constructed to perceive what's useful in our everyday lives. Let me say that again. Um, As we see visually, or what we see visually and physically feel, none of it means nothing. Our senses are architecturally constructed to perceive what is useful in our everyday lives. So when Paul says you need to live by the spirit, he's telling you that needs to be of use in your everyday life so that you can start sensing 
what is real rather than mastering the sensing of what is just not real. You need to acquire a different organ to sense the something and the nothing. Hello? That requires a whole different organ. It's not your eyes. It's not your ears. It's not your sense of touch. It is a spirit that has been made alive by the Holy Spirit. You have to have that in order to be able to sense the something in the nothing. Without that, you're only subjected to what you can sense as your brain tries to allegorize every other space in your world. You're limited to just this. This is food. I must eat. This is drink. I must drink. This is a job. I must go. This is money. I must spend. Just constant. That's all you know, right? Yeah. That's the whole shebang. But when your spirit man comes alive, now there's something else by faith in Christ Jesus that you are now being able to sense. Yes, Lord. <laughs> yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. <laughs> your servant hears. Well, who said it? He said it. When did he say it? I don't know. I heard it. Once God spoke, twice I heard that power belongs to God. What did he say? I don't know when he said it. I know I heard it. How did you hear it? Was it? I didn't hear it in these ears like you're talking to me, but I heard it. I didn't feel it like, like I feel this table, but I felt it. I didn't see it like I see this book, but I see it. And people try to get you to convince, to, to tell them that you see it physically. or you. I don't have to. I have a sensing. I can feel, like you can feel a table, I can feel a demonic spirit. Like you can see me, I can see him. And I don't need by my eyes. And another set of eyes that was given to me as I matured in the spirit of the Lord. Some of you guys have not matured. (laughs) You ain't growing. Eyes still got that little crusty stuff in it. In biological terms, the interpretation of sensory input in the brain depends on the neural pathways that it takes. This power in this empty space is so (laughs) strong that every other bit of matter, the actual, not the anti, when it comes in contact with this power, the something and the nothing, allows that atom to engage and then become something and live forever. The law of thermodynamics says that once an energy is there, that energy stays there. It only transfers. So all the energy is the same energy we always had. It it never goes anywhere. It just keeps transferring, right? Uh, So sun makes plants. Plants grow. That's the energy from the sun. Plants take the energy from the sun. You eat the plants. You take the energy from the plants, right? Then you start doing work. Your work does something that plant takes energy to another work. So energy is just transferred. It's never canceled. So what he's trying to say here is that our brain is just, is just trying to find and, and take all the sensories based off of a certain neural pathway. But the power that is in the something is that any time uh, there's a, a random atom or quanta, photon, and it comes in contact with the something in the nothing, it could actually become something. Scientists describe it as that there is some type of powerful force popping and crackling all around us. And that this is so much power that when it encounters um, some quantum particle that, that is designed to be something, then it comes to life. 
and now it exists and has energy or life. Does that make sense? Hmm. Why is this important, you might ask? Because dark energy is, is interesting. It reveals that <coughs> all of what we are considering is reality is defined by our mind. Now, we can use others to say, did you see it? And we will say yes. But them seeing it does not make it more real. It only makes it that you guys have the same equation, the same mindset. Yes? That your brain calculated the same thing in the same space and had the same sensory and came up with the same solution. But it does not mean that it's actually real. Yes? Okay. Let's look at uh, Abraham and Sarah for a second. I want to look at Abraham and Sarah for just a moment because they have a very interesting story. Go to Romans chapter 4. I know, Abraham and Sarah is still Romans chapter 4. I was already in Genesis. <laughs> Trying to explain to people that God has an economy of faith, and I don't mean money, that there is a system in place for humans where he originally designed that we would have the sensory mechanisms for both the spirit and the natural. Right? Both the spirit and the natural. It's something that... Um, Paul says, I think it was in, oh, where was it? Yeah, 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 15, still go to um, Romans, right? Did I give you where? Romans 4. Go to Romans 4, but in 1 Corinthians 15, put this in your notes. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 for 44, I love this verse. He says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. This is talking about the resurrection uh, from the dead, right? Now, watch this last line. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. That one line says that if you see a natural body, it is because there is a spiritual body. Y'all don't want to help me today. The fact that you see a natural body, which, in, which is truly nothing but empty space, is only because there is actually a spiritual body. Because you see a natural world, which is nothing but empty space, is only because there really is a spiritual world. And you think the spiritual world is less real than the natural, when in fact you got it completely turned around. The spiritual world is reality, and the natural world is an algorithm. Of your perception. And you perceive based off of the placement of your heart. I said, My God. He didn't say just as there's a natural body, you know. And, you know, there is also, like, same, same. So natural body, you got a spiritual body. No, he said, because you see it. Huh? There is also. 
It's the if there. If there is a natural body. We'd be like, mm, we know that one. He says, then there is a spiritual. The spiritual is the reason why there's a natural. Indicating that the spiritual is more real. And the natural is an algorithm that your brain comes up with that God gave you so you could actually, you know, have dominion over the earth. Do things. You understand? Hello, somebody. Because the animals don't have it. The plants don't have it. Y'all don't want to help me today. So you are the ones that are supposed to be ruling over the earth, uh, leading it the way God intended. And so now you're spiritual beings who can see and hear as God sees and hears and manifests. But in order for you to say, come on, little sheep, let's go. You better know that you lock in to the natural <laughs> to get that sheep and get that sheep to walk over there. Yes. So many people think the goal is to be so spiritual that you don't need anything here. The goal is to be so spiritual that you know how to perceive everything here. I can look at you and you say, I'm sick. And I can say, hmm, I see well. Where did I see it at? In my father's house. Yes? And so now I see it here. And if you agree, and this is in the range of what the father wants, then now you too observe that there is healing for you. Now you see yourself healed. So now your body has to start removing and, and changing all of that empty space. Y'all don't want to help me. All that empty shaped space has to start running into some other stuff. Hello. And what was once dead is now alive and it comes into power and contact with the omnipresence of God. We just got to know, can we touch and agree? Do you, do you see it like I see it? Can I get a witness? Does anybody see it like I see it? Can I get an amen? Can I get, can I get a witness? Can we gather together and collectively say we see that this is the will of God? Because now we are all using a sensing that has been given to us by God to know the truth of what he wants. And that's what we're sticking to. But, but it's alleged right there. Not for us, it's not. It's, 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 the, it's the Red Sea right there. Not for us, it's not. It's no water right there. Not for us, it's not. There's no, there's no way right There's not for us, there's not. We see. There are giants in the land. Joshua say, not for us, there ain't. Come on, Caleb, don't you see? I see it, Joshua. We could take them. Come on, David. Uh-uh, that's a giant. David said, I see we can take him. Who is this Philistine? This uncircumcised Philistine. I see us taking him down. Everybody, I don't see that, bro. You like what, 11? No, I don't see it. How much more powerful of an impact if others saw it? It just takes... A little mustard seed. But oh, what if we had a stick of dynamite? Woo! People that were relentless to say, this is the will of God. And we're not taken down. What do we need this kind of power for? For souls to be saved. You will live and not die. Don't you see it? Don't you see brother such and such being a brother in the faith? Can't you see it? Can't you see? You know that's how y'all, some of y'all got here? 
Some of you guys are delivered because somebody else was relentless in saying, I see you as a man of God. I see you as a woman of God. And you kept sinning and sinning and doubting and doubting and fighting and resisting. And I see you as a man of God. I see you as a woman of God. And what that person observed began to come in contact with this powerful omnipresence power. And before you know it, stuff starts snack, snapping, popping, and crackling all around you. And things in your life start shifting around. And the things you don't want to do now, you, don't, you used to do, you don't want to do them no more. The place you used to go, you don't want to go no more. Something in your life starts happening and moving because somebody said, I see you saved. That's the call of the Christian. Is to walk into where there seems to be death and see life and speak it and hold fast by faith. Not just for ourselves, but for others. He says, I will that all men will be saved, but there is a method and a process that he established that he will use. Amen? Amen. Where was you at, Romans? Romans (laughs) Excuse me. Romans chapter 4, verse uh, 13. Oh, I got to go. I'm over my time. Skip down because I'm I'm over my time. (laughs) No, go to verse 13. For the promise of Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Please hear this. We know that faith was accounted to him as righteousness. We're going to see that show up in a second. But when he says the righteousness of faith, the father is saying very plainly that I chose faith as a good way for promises to become clear. If I promise you something, I'm choosing faith to bring that thing into the present. I'm not choosing your work ethic. I'm not choosing your good deeds. I'm not choosing your intellect. I'm not choosing your feelings. I am choosing faith to bring that promise. If I said you can be saved, faith is how you're going to be saved. Not through how you finally see, but now Faith, he said, that is what I call righteous. Why? Because faith uses the actual spirit of God that makes us alive to commune with him. Without that, you are dead in your trespasses. And the only way is through Christ. And he chose faith as the righteousness. It is, he said, it's good that you don't go based off of what you see right here. It's good that you finally recognize it's not about how you see God do this or, or you see God do that. or It's not about how you see anything or that it's finally revealed. It's good that it's now by faith because that's an organ that this world does not have that can only come from the spirit of the Lord. And it's an indicator that you belong to him. Without it, you're not his. You are still dead and on the path of death. But you are saved from that path, saved from condemnation through faith. That Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, sits on the right hand side of the Father, and will one day come back. You have to believe that now. Because you don't need to believe anything when you see it. He says faith is now a, a good way. It's a righteous way for men to be saved. Not based off of what they see. 
Because based off of what they see and how they perceived it and what they thought it could do, it's what caused sin in the first place. Eve looked and saw that it was good. She looked and saw that it was make her wise. She saw it. He's like, we can't use that. I made another part of you that once, once alive, that is now dead, that you're supposed to see something else. And if I say don't eat of it because there's death, then you're supposed to see there's death. You're supposed to be able to see that that tree of knowledge and good and evil at this time is a tree of death. But you can't see it because somebody convinced you that there's life, convinced you that they'd marry you, convinced you that it's not that bad, convinced you that it's just natural, convinced you that it's all right, convinced you that the Lord will forgive. Well, he will forgive. <laughs> convinced you that you'll always be able to change your mind. When Ahab went crazy, the angel said it's so that mankind will know that God controls even the hearts of men. You can't even think one day you're going to be able to stop on your own. He controls the hearts of men. And some of y'all stay a beast and an animal in the field until you recognize God controls your heart and not you. I can stop anytime I want to stop. No, you can't. No, you can't. I can quit anytime I want to quit. No, you can't. I can believe it and it'll happen. Mm -mm. That's not how it works. Your belief does not make anything apart from the will of God. No, it doesn't. You'll just be waiting for something. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but there is no law, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of God in him who in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And calls into existence the things that do not exist. Calls into existence the things that do not exist. Faith then becomes the, the positive matter of God's very powerful antimatter, the something in the nothing that then connects. Do you understand what I'm saying? And poof, life happens when there was once death. And poof, this was not, but now it is. He uses mankind's faith to bring these things about. When you look at the story of Adam, I mean, of Abraham and Sarah, I liked it because he says, down, down further, it says, he said that Abraham didn't even, he didn't even doubt it. Where is that at? Uh, he walked with the faith, he said, okay. Um, in hope, he could believe, it. oh, okay. As it's written, the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was good as dead since he was about 100 years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. 
No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. How in the world do you grow stronger in believing when what you see in the natural is completely opposite? Y'all don't want to help me today. You've got to be living in an alternative reality in order for you to be able to see everything dying in this realm and still know without a shadow of a doubt that God is still going to bring life to a dead situation. You've got to be in alternative reality in order for you've got to see something different. It cannot be in this tangible realm. It's got to be somewhere where the spirit is true and the natural is the algorithm. You have to have a whole completely different sensing and ability to see something and for your faith to grow when what you physically see, do you know how trained you've got to be? To see that your wife has never bore a child for over 90 plus years? And in the process, you are growing older, Abraham, and them seeds is getting older and older and older. And what you need to believe in is actually working against you. You can't see it. And not only can you not see it, it appears as if the situation is being made more impossible. And this is, this is the thing. As the situation is being made more impossible, your faith, Abraham, is continually growing. Where are you eating? What manner are you eating from? What food are you eating? What reality are you living in, dear Abraham? That's why it's Abraham's faith. Because ain't none of us never. You can't make it get worse now, God, now. <laughs> I believe, but help my unbelief. The situation's getting worse, not better. I want to have hope that you're still going to do it, but now I don't. And, and with us, when it looks like in the tangible, in the algorithm, y'all don't want to help me, when the algorithm appears to be declining, it starts to weaken our faith, not grow it. Oh, you've got to have an alternative reality. you got to walk into a realm where you can say, oh, my God is up to something. Because there's something in the midst of this nothing. There's something in the midst of this nothing. And I'm going to look for it every day. I'm going to look for it it every night I'm gonna look for it every second there's a righteousness of faith he says you know the story of, of Abraham is back in Genesis the land that Abraham was being promised was significant because it is that land that was actually the land of Eden. So God is saying, dear Abraham, 
This land between the Euphrates and the Tigris, y'all don't want to help me. This is the land I will give to your descendants. I'm going to reclaim my people that are called by my name. And I'm going to reclaim them on my mount, my holy mount. That's why that area is so volatile. Because Satan knows that that was God's holy mount. That he desecrated, that he's trying to be like God and sit upon that throne himself. That's why the whole world revolves around Israel. Because every other leader of every other nation knows this truth that you keep rejecting. They can't get to this realm by faith because they don't believe in the power of our God. They rather serve their other gods. So they have to use science and mechanisms and machines in order to tap into the realm that you've been freely given an organ to see through Christ's blood. Freely given. Freely. If you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, and this is the last thing I'm going to, I'm going to say today, then you'll know that he, I thought he wavered when he did the thing with Hagar. I was like, mm, that looked like wavering. But what the scripture is denoting is when he was 90. It's saying that when he, when, when, the promise had to come back to him. Yeah, yeah. Help me, help me, help me, Lord. Um, God promised him at one point when he was young, 50-something, I guess. And then, <laughs> young. When he was young, 50-something. Right, 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 right. And then he did the Hagar thing, and God was like, no. Silly, it's not going to be with the maid servant of your wife. It's going to be with your wife, Sarah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So as he gets older and older, 90-something years old, 99, I think Sarah was 90. He was like 99. The angel of the Lord visited them. I said, the angel of the Lord visited them. I said, the angel of the Lord visited them. And you could tell because Abraham wanted to worship. He said, that's fine. Go get some food and I'll eat with you. Hmm. And when, when the angel of the Lord said, no, it's going to be a seed from Sarah's womb, who is now 90 and been barren all her life. And it's going to come from you, Abraham, with your 99-year-old self. And Abraham said, exactly. Sarah had the response that I would have. <laughs> oh, now you want to bless us. You are something else, Jesus. You are something else. Abraham was like, bet. What I find is interesting is that Abraham was still looking. He was out under the trees and he saw the angel of the Lord approaching him. He was always looking for the promise of God to be fulfilled. And what did he get? A repeat of the very word of God. Word of God tells us that his word is sharper than any two-edged sword, right to divide the soul from the spirit, the bone from marrow, and the discerner of the intentions and the heart. I got stuck on the word living because it would appear to me that in all the ways God could have reminded Abraham, 
he decided to put on flesh and walk towards Abraham. He decided to appear as the word living. Yeah, he decided to be the, he, he put on flesh and began to come to him and say the exact same promise. So now Abraham is receiving his faith that says, I'm going to have this child from the living word of God. And that thing discerned hearts because you can see Abraham said yes and Sarah chuckled. The word of God is living. I like it because it's, come here, uh, 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 Shamar. Thank you. Come here, Mar. I like it because when I see the angel of the Lord coming, you, 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 you be Abraham. I'll be, I'll be the angel of the Lord. What we're seeing and noticing is that since this reality is just a figment of your mindset, it's your algorithm, how your brain has always been processing information. If you live in the spirit, then your brain is always processing information according to the last word that you heard. Do you understand what I'm saying? So now the situation's got desperate, Abraham, because now you looking old and this thing look like it's about done. And just when you're still looking, here comes the living word right up to you and says, I'm going to do what I told you to do. I'm going to do it. And you're like, amen. Heart and intentions right in the right place. He was growing in faith while everything else was dying. It's the living word that then walks with Abraham. Y'all don't want to help me. It's been the living word that has been walking. It was the same. You know how he could grow in his faith? Because Abraham was wandering in the land that God told him to go. Everywhere he told him to go, that's the way. I'm going to give this part of the land to you, Abraham. I'm going to give this part of the land. Look, look, Abraham, I'm going to give that to you. Come on, let me show you over here. I'm going to give you. Now this that he's doing every time. Come on, keep up with me, Abraham. This is going to be you over here. Come on, come on, come on. This is going to be you over here. Uh huh. Come on, this over here. This is going to be you too. This is going to be all you, all you, all you right when he was doing that he was unseen y'all don't want to help me today and all of Abraham's wandering to the land that God would show God himself was unseen how did Abraham grow with his faith while well, everything started to deteriorate because he walked with God when he could not see God he walked with God when he could not feel God he walked with God when he could not see God so now when it seems like what you're looking at is an impossibility, the Lord knows. He says, now look at me. What I said will happen, will happen. Everything the Lord spoke is exactly how it's going to happen. Everything the Lord said is exactly how it's going to happen. Mighty man of God, mighty man of God, mighty man of God. I speak to every lying demon, every demon of deception. You are smart, you are intelligent, you are sincere, you are true, and you are hardworking.
You got to walk to some places that you can't see in the natural, but you're starting to sense them in your spirit. You got to do some things that you can't see in the natural, but you hear it in the spirit. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Your servant hears. Standing all over the house. 